first things first, you're the most important thing as far as the components of the bicycle. And, and I would always encourage people to make sure that they're happy on their bike. And by that, I mean, your fit and your touch points, you know, whether you're riding a, a $1,000 bike or a $10,000 bike, if you're not comfortable, it doesn't matter how whiz bangy or shiny, you know, the latest component and upgrade is. KLM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I am your host, Trevor, and on this episode, we're talking bike tech with Ben Delaney. As we discuss more in the interview, um, Ben Delaney has been involved in cycling media, cycling journalism for 20 plus years, testing and writing all about bikes. Um, in this conversation, we scratch the surface of um, bike tech, focusing mainly on gravel bikes and gravel tech. Um, but I think it's a pretty great overview conversation, um, full of information and tips for amateurs, for beginners. Ben is currently producing top-notch bike reviews on his YouTube channel, The Ride, with Ben Delaney. I encourage you to check that out. Really great conversation with Ben. I enjoyed speaking with him immensely, and uh, yeah, we really get into it. Um, to intro this episode, I, uh, I enlisted the help of my friend and frequent podcast contributor, Tristan Smith, to uh, join me and talk a little tech of our own. And also, I wanted to hear about his Gravel World's long voyage experience, um, or long haul, long voyage. I think he he says what it is. But um, I should have known that what I planned to be a short intro turned into basically an episode in itself. Um, so, yeah, so I think what we're going to do is uh, we're going to focus on bike tech here. And the conversation with Ben, but um, I'm going to give a little preview of my conversation with Tristan. I'm going to do that right now, and then um, maybe later this week or early next week, I will release um, a specific episode with Tristan where we talk more about bike tech and then his Gravel Worlds experience. So let's hear a little bit with Tristan now. Um, here it is. You rode them a bit before Gravel Worlds, and I assumed it was just be, just getting used to them. And then, obviously, you rode them for Gravel Worlds, and so now you're riding them. And I guess I was assuming it was laziness because you just did a lot of <laughs> take them off your bike. But that's a fair assumption. Um, but you, and it I mean, is laziness. It sounds like you are a fan of them. Like you very much. Will you keep them on? For the for the foreseeable future, until I participate in an event that says no arrow bars. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's the plan. Well, this is so. I talked with Ben Delaney. This is the um, interview later 
for this episode. And Ben is or has been in cycling media for 20 plus years. He talks about it on the interview and he, his whole thing is like bike tech. And, and I was going to ask you about, um, I asked Ben this, but I was going to ask you about a piece of bike tech or a piece of your kit or a piece of something on a bike, off a bike, whatever that, um, you find most valuable. And then I was going to bust your balls and say, it better not be aero bars. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's the aero bars. I, I think it's probably, um, I think it's the whole system, right? Like everything coming together is the most important thing. Everything in integrating properly, working together properly. And I think it's just that the overall integration of everything is the best, the best part of any fit kit, whatever it is. But, um, if I had to say one piece, Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely the saddle. I've noticed I like Mm -hmm. the, uh, I like one saddle. I have it on three different bikes and it's just, it's fantastic. What Uh, is the, what saddle? It's the, uh, WTB, volt uh and it is just it fits me fantastically and yeah like i said that was just a preview of um the uh conversation that i will release with tristan in the next few days but for now we are talking all about bike tech with ben delaney Uh, I don't mean to uh, start off by sounding like old men, but what, what's the what's the weather like there currently with the uh, <laughs> the the uh, uh, ending of summer and the beginning of fall? Like, is is summer holding strong, or are you uh, getting some cold weather already? Yeah, yesterday it was ninety five, and today it was fifty degrees, which is why I'm wearing a sweatshirt. It <laughs> feels like the Arctic all of a sudden, like there was no. F- yeah, yeah it's a hard, hard change last night. Is which that was a, nice. is that uh? But that's typical of Colorado weather, right? Like that's not necessarily get, like a changing of the seasons. Yeah, you can get some pretty big swings. We had, I was hosting a couple of German guys this summer, and they wanted to go right up in the Rocky Mountains on like there's a road called Peak to Peak. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's sort of like our our version of like the Blue Ridge Parkway, but it's at you know eight thousand to nine thousand feet. Like dudes take a rain jacket and like, no, no, why it's summertime. Like, (laughs) yeah, but like there's, you know, rainstorms, thunderstorms in the high country can be legit, like lethal in some cases. Oh, we, we ride in the rain all the time. And, you know, sure enough, like they got turned around and had a hitchhike back down. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're cool with it, you want to just, uh, just hit it and and get going. Yeah, let's here. do it. Okay, let's do it. So I jump into it. I don't think. No, I know for sure that um, I've never done a dedicated uh, tech episode. Um, of course, like when we're talking about anything cycling, tech comes into play. But I've never talked with someone specifically about cycling tech, bike tech, any of that. And um, 
And as you and I have started uh, talking back and forth, I thought, man, there'd be a, you would be a great person to talk to about tech. But I'm wondering, before we begin, if you wouldn't mind um, introducing yourself and uh, letting the listeners know why you are the person I want to talk to about tech. Why am I listening to this moron? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, I can do that. Okay, well, go for it. Why Why are we talking to Ben Delaney right now about tech? Why are you the guy to talk to about uh, bike tech? Well, I love talking about it, and it's hard to get me to shut up, I guess, is the short answer. <laughs> but a, a slightly longer one is I've been at it for a while. You know, I've been working in cycling media for 20-plus years, you know, covering cycling primarily from, uh, you know, like the professional racing angle, but then also the manufacturing end when I was working for the trade magazine, Bicycle Retail and Industry News. And then I've been testing and covering gear for a number of years. You know, I was at Bike Radar, I was the U.S. Editor-in-Chief there for a number of years, working with folks like James Wong and Josh Patterson and others on the U.S. side, and then all the Brits. And then also, you know, similar deal at uh, Velo News, where I was an Editor-in-Chief for a number of years. And I love playing with bikes. And some tech editors come at it from a, uh, like a mechanical engineering side or a shop mechanic side you know i come at it from a participant bike rider bike racer angle um so yeah that's that's my bent i've been testing gravel bikes with great enthusiasm for a number of years and i try to test them in events whenever possible like to contextualize it so i've been saying i've tested more gravel bikes in events than anybody else on the planet <laughs> Uh, which, which I think is true. I don't know how to, how to verify that, but <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've, yeah, I've ridden a lot of gravel bikes, uh, in events. So, uh, and this is, this is why I want to talk to you 20 plus years of, of bike tech experience, writing, um, writing and, and riding. Um, and, uh, and then obviously in that time, anyone that's followed cycling, you've seen, um, we've all seen developments in trends, um, and I think a great like example of that most recently, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you were mentioning gravel. I think the gravel bike is such a, a perfect example of how bike trends have evolved throughout the last few years. And of course, every single um, genre of cycling sees different evolutions, different um, uh, focuses. But I, I guess in my mind, nothing... I've seen recently has like just blown up and and hit the market like the gravel bike recently. Is it, you think that's a a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, e-bikes are huge, but True. there's so much more of a utilitarian thing in most parts of the world. So yeah, gravel and e-bikes are the hot things without a doubt in the last few years and as enthusiasts as part of like the stretchy pants crowd yeah, gravel bikes are the hot thing. To, whether you're into them or even if you're not, like you know, making fun of gravel bikes and culture is is also like a new favorite pastime of both <laughs> roadies and mountain bikers. And, and yeah, that's that's part of the fun thing too. That like as you say, it's, it's it's evolving, and we don't yet have a crystallized definition of what gravel is in terms of the surface or the events or the bikes or the gear. And that's that's why I really enjoy it. You know, that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy it is because it's it's a, it's a live thing. You yeah. know, I, I I love that and like thinking about talking to uh, about this about these topics. Um, 
so I, I bought my first gravel bike in 2018. And even then I was like, do I need a specific bike for, for this? And I bought an aluminum diverge, little bit of a suspension in the front. Um, I think it had clearance for 38s, which now seems ridiculous that mm-hmm. someone would be claiming this would be a gravel bike with only clearance for 38s. And then three years, four years down the road, um, bikes look gravel bikes look totally different already. I mean, the they just have changed so much in such a short period of time. Sure. Yeah, it's funny that we've come from, yeah, gravel bikes aren't a thing that you don't need them if you want to ride drop bar on dirt. You've got a cyclocross bike, ride that, shut up, stop talking about it. You know, it's gone from that to now we've got niches within the niche of, well, is that a fast gravel bike or is that an adventure gravel bike or is that like a monster gravel bike or or then a whole other category of like, well, this is the gravel bike that does it all. So, yeah, we've got little pockets within pockets um yeah yeah which is yeah again part of the fun i think the 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 big the biggest switch for drop bar bikes recently you know last number of years has been disc brakes not just in terms of the braking mechanism but the fact that that allowed frame manufacturers bike brands to put fat tires on bikes like that that's the big switch here right um whether that's you know endurance road bikes but certainly gravel bikes right you know to go you know as you said it sound like the old men that we are riding road bikes on dirt roads like that's been going on since the tour started back in the day right um but your brake caliper limited tire girth and that's that's the that's the in my mind like that's the game changer Moving to disc lets you put on whatever tire size tires you want within, you know, frame constraint reason. So yep. that's that's the that's the game changer. Yeah, I mean that's a good, that's a good point, and I think even that though is pretty recent. Um, I think consumers were quicker to adopt that than necessarily uh, the the well bike teams and and such in, in terms of road riding. Um, yeah, for road for road racing, it was like oh, this is just a part of the vast bike industry conspiracy to trick us into buying more stuff um and where weight wanyism is an important thing in you know power to weight ratio for tour de france racing yeah that's not a thing on gravel and so yeah for those who ride dirt was yeah yes please done like this not it was a non non-issue it's funny you know being at uh was the dan hughes shop sunflower in lawrence kansas last fall uh, for Belgian Waffle Ride, Kansas. And I don't know if you've ever been in his shop, but it's super cool. It's like a gravel museum of sorts. You know, the guy's done 10 versions of what's now called Unbound and has won four editions of them, including the very first one. And so, when, you know, that was 20, 2006. Dan won uh, the first, what was then Dirty Kansas, on a crossback, but, a, you know, a custom built. Brent Steelman that had room for 40 mil tires, which was crazy at the time. Oh wow. <laughs> but now like, yeah, like that's that's what you want. Um relatively short chain stays, room for 40 mil tires with with candy brakes, um, and a decent gear range. Uh, and certainly like the steel tubing looks quite different from you know, like a sculpted carbon bike now, but like the the basic elements 
were there and what Dan rode that year. So that's that's pretty cool to see. You know, I still had you know, like a tiny corn cob block on the back and campy record shifters and oh yeah, <laughs> um, you know, not exactly ETAP access explorer, but uh, yeah, that was like the the genesis of it. But for the most part, yeah, gravel bikes for the long time were cyclocross bikes that were limited by tire clearance. I, you mentioned something about just, uh, is it just bike manufacturers or companies trying to, to sell more products or, or whatever, but I kind of feel like as a consumer right now, um, the, the access to, well, let me go back. There is no access to (laughs) bikes necessarily, but, uh, but the, the, the fact that there are so many options is just, is great for consumers right now. And, and I, and I started riding road bikes early and a little bit of mountain biking, but I was mostly a roadie and, and I kind of wasn't sure if gravel was just a, a trend that would, would, would go away or if it was something that would stick around. But now it just seems like it's, it's such a, uh, it, what it offers to consumers is, is, is pretty great. And the, and the, the range of, of bikes you can get from, like a wide range of uh, affordability to, you know, you can go all out. And, but, um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a cool spot to be in right now as a consumer as well, as long Heck as you can, yeah. as long as you can get a bike. <laughs> Heck yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Choice is a good thing. And yeah, supply levels are ramping back up. We're seeing bike shops now, like almost with a glut of bikes, not with all brands, but for the most part, the taps have been turned back on. You know, we're seeing just in the last few weeks, we've seen launches of all sorts of bikes not because fall is the ideal time to launch bikes, but because they've got supply finally. So like, okay, yeah, Trek No Bonnie, you know, new Trek to Bonnie, here we go. You know, new BMC Kaius gravel race bike, here we go. Yeah. Uh, new Canyon uh, Ultimate. The, 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 uh, the factories are back up and running again. And yeah, choice is a good thing. And I, I get, <laughs> I have to laugh at, you know, the peanut section in, in comments of, Oh, this this is this bike industry trying to trick us into buying stuff and forcing us to buy stuff. Like, Shut up! You don't have to buy anything. Like this is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that like we're being you know held at gunpoint with our credit cards out? Like they're putting choices out there, and of course they want to sell things. Like everyone wants to be in business, but yeah, it's yeah. it's consumers have the power to choose what we want to buy, right? And and having a, a vast array of options is a good thing, and I I appreciate even. And sometimes, especially the outliers who take flyers on rather extreme designs, not that we're forced to do them like, you know, the evil Shami Hagar with its just crazy raked out yeah. fork where, where your front wheel is like a day and a half ahead of your rear wheel. You don't have to buy that. But I think it's it's cool to see you know, or like this BMC now with its 36 centimeter handlebars. You, you don't have to buy that. But I'm I'm glad that it's not just one vanilla flavor like in some ways even like the top end road bikes are like yeah they're super nice and super high end but there's just not a huge amount of variety one to the next to the point where like even engineers from those brands if you spec bikes identically and then cover them all in bubble wrap and send them out to do like a pepsi taste test i don't think they could differentiate (laughs) between their own products like within the same category you know what i mean um Whereas in yeah, in gravel you've got this yeah huge variety of stuff. I and I think I mean I think you see that um, mountain biking for sure. I mean the, the pendulums swing to extremes in, in different ways, um, and the Shami Hagar is a 
is a great example of that. But um, I think, I mean, even gravel bikes are getting a little more slacked out. I mean, not to the extreme of that, but um, it takes someone thinking, hey, what if we do this a little bit more? Or what if we put in 55 size or, or, or we can clear 55 millimeter or, or something like like a 29er, you know, and and then maybe it takes another manufacturer saying, well, we don't need to do that, but we see the the benefit of of uh, adopting you know, a little bit of it. And then it goes yeah. a little bit further and further. And, uh, and then that's kind of how evolution starts. Right. Totally. Totally. Like, do, like fat bikes, maybe not for everybody, but, but a little bit more tire. Yes. Okay. We oh. can see, see the benefit of that or like, yeah. Full on like aero time trial bike. Yeah. We, we understand the physics is a good thing. Do we want to ride around on tour de France time trial bikes? No, no. <laughs> but you know, if you can get a little free speed here and there without it affecting ride quality. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, one th- Go ahead. I'm, I'm a. I was gonna say I'm just I'm a big fan of demo programs. Um, you know, I'm certainly spoiled rotten by like having the latest and greatest sent to me to test and you know test different things back to back to back and get us and and be able to like get a sense from that of like what I like and what I don't like. And for most folks, yeah, just you don't get to try. 200 bikes before you pull the trigger you know you try and maybe one and it's more like you know internet research and sort of taking people at their word of like just going on like really squishy adjectives like this bike's twitchy this bike's comfy like what the heck does that mean um so i'm i'm definitely a proponent of having folks get their butts on bikes before they buy and and the best case scenario is things like you know outer bike programs where you can go and ride multiple bikes from different manufacturers at the not not simultaneously of course but like take one for a spin on a loop come back and get another one take that for the spin on the same loop and be like oh, okay so I, now i feel how you know just a one degree change in the head angle can make a pretty big difference when i'm going down this like little rocky section um, yeah and i and i think too when when you're talking about the bike that'll fit you and fit your riding. Um, this changes so much depending on where the heck you're riding too. Um, I mean, I, I'd be listening to some other gravel podcasts or people talk about this and that. It's like, Oh, you got to have a dropper post on your gravel bike. And I'm like, I live in flat ass Michigan. I'm not going to put a dropper <laughs> post in, yeah. you know, there's no reason to, or, I mean, this whole thing within the last few months about, um, like more and more companies are coming out with a French suspension for a gravel bike. And it's like, okay, there might be a place and a time for that, but I'm not sure uh, the majority of riders are going to need that or even want that. But, you know, it's new and shiny, so maybe maybe they should get it. But I think that's another thing to take into account. It's like, where the heck are you going to be riding? And um, and then do you do you what what do you need in that in that uh, occasion, I guess? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, an early and ongoing criticism slash heckle of gravel bikes is like, those are just old, poorly designed mountain bikes. Like if you want, like, if you want to ride off road, we salute you. Like we've got a thing for that. It's called a mountain bike. It's awesome. Go ride that. Um, which yeah, I, I appreciate, but I also see that there's a clear delineation between riding mountain bikes on trails and riding gravel bikes on gravel roads. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, where you ride determines, yeah, what kind of bike you want to ride, certainly what type of tires are good. And I'm with you on the dropper post thing. 
And that, you know, I can think of just like a single handful of instances where like, oh yeah, that would have been nice. Like for that one two second stretch during <laughs> that seven hour day, that would have been kind of nice. But for the other six hours and, you know, 59 minutes, having a nice carbon seat post that's got some comfortable flex to it and isn't adding weight and complexity, that's the better solution. So it's, and I feel like, you know, the uh, suspension fork on gravel is often the same. And then if you, if under biking is your thing, like kind of going into like mountain bike light territory, but you still want drop bars or whatever, you're like, yeah, oh, okay. But I'm kind of one or the other. If like, yeah, if we're going to do gravel stuff, let's ride gravel bikes. If we're going to ride mountain bikes, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and that's again, my unsolicited opinion. <laughs> again, uh, I mean, we have a, so many gravel roads in Michigan and it's there. Some of them are fast. Some of them are a little chunky, but I found that the diverge, um, I, I didn't like the, the future shock and I felt like it kind of like it, it worked against me instead of for me, um, in the style of riding I was doing. And, and when I, upgraded to an, a different bike i was looking for something that felt a little racier felt a little uh i don't know i wanted like no suspension at all i just wanted to feel the bike and feel the road a little bit more so i went with a a, a giant revolt and i think it's a great choice for where i am here and i've and i've ridden it all over now but um but yeah the i just i i don't know and maybe maybe that's the 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 old roadie in me that just likes I don't want the bike moving too much or whatever, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that for me, that revolt is, is like such a perfect bike, um, for what I want my gravel riding to look like. Now, other people might want to go onto single track and then maybe they need a something different, you know, but, uh, for me, that revolt is, is where it's at. I'm, I'm with you. I love that bike. I love that bike. And it's got, you know, built in a bit of built in flex. Like I was talking about definitely yep. in the seat post and even in the bars a little bit, but yeah, when you stand up, it doesn't go bleh, bleh, bleh underneath <laughs> you, which, you know, I actually kind of like the feel of the diverge when you're in the saddle, like just having, you know, cause that future shock doesn't take, and doesn't add a bunch of weight, but it takes some of the, the chatter sure. out of the ride when you're seated. Um, and you can firm it up with a little twists, but yeah, with the, just, it's, it's Stand, I'm with you. When you stand up on a bike with undamped suspension, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. You know, it feels like you're just, your energy is going in the wrong direction. Sure. That's how the Lau fork feels to me. Like when you're oh, interesting. JRA over, you know, washboard. Yes, that's appreciated. But, you know, just standing up on dirt roads. Yeah, yeah, nah, I, yeah I don't like it. Yeah. Don't like it. Um, let's, yeah, I got, I have a couple, couple questions. Um, Fire away. so, so you mentioned that the, uh, the, the brake caliper or disc brakes were one of the, the, the biggest in your mind, uh, evolutions that kind of opened the door to other things. Is there another, um, bike tech evolution that you can think of that really changed the game quite a bit? In the, yeah, la in the last, the in, in your, in your, um, in the last like 20 years, as you've like in your experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Easy. Yeah. Carbon. Okay. Carbon. 
for th- for sure, just by how much that material can be manipulated in terms of shape and feel. Um, and rigid bikes like road bikes and most gravel bikes really showcase that uh, you know the abilities of carbon and the and the artistry of the engineers. You know, like with a mountain bike, the suspension is the star of the show right and you know you could probably get a pretty darn similar feel on a full suspension mountain bike with an aluminum frame or a carbon frame you're just getting a a substantial weight savings by going to carbon right sure um but changing the suspension parts or you know even just the tuning will will make a far bigger impact on how that feels when you've got a rigid frame, all you're feeling is the frame, right? You know, the angles and the construction and in carbon's case, the layup. So that is is definitely a huge game changer in terms of how a bike feels. You know, the weight weight aside, although weight is yeah. certainly a big part of it. Um, but yeah, like, like with that giant revolt post, you know, if that was a aluminum post, that would feel quite different than that defuse post that's got, I mean, I don't, I don't know how giant qualifies it, but like you can just lean on it with your arm and see how much that thing moves. And sure. that's, that's carbon baby. Um, so yeah, that's, that's top of the list for sure. So I, I went from, and I was, I was riding, I've ridden like old carbon road frames before I went to the revolt, but Going from an aluminum diverge, which also had an aluminum post and aluminum or alloy wheels and all this stuff. And then I went to the Revolt, which is full carbon, carbon wheels. You know, it's it. The ride change was incredible. Um, And as you talk about carbon, I'm thinking about wheels specifically because now I feel like the price point for carbon wheels is just dropping tremendously and you get you can get a decently strong and uh affordable wheel uh carbon wheel set now sometimes with the bikes themselves and i yeah i think though that's a huge uh i mean in terms of ride feel and um i I think that's that's a huge change as well yeah absolutely yeah i love handing people new carbon bikes who haven't touched a bike in a number of years like my dad's been riding them metal bike forever and ever and like when i'll go back and visit you know he'll pick up my bike and whoa (laughs) yeah because that's uh, that's a change you can feel for sure just the weight yeah um and wheels just that you know the the rotational weight absolutely something you can feel um even on a gravel bike when you've got a lot of rubber sitting on the end of that Um, so that's that's a a gratifying change for sure to, to switch over to a lighter set of hoops and it's yeah it's fun to see the yeah the range there like you know zip is going for the full comfort with its you know latest uh explore wheels super shallow and with like a bit of ankling i'm moving my hands around like you can see that on a podcast uh, <laughs> a bit of movement in the rim uh laterally compared to the spokes so you've got a bit of give there um you know all the way up to you know, 40 and, and even 50 mil 
tall arrow rims that are super wide for you know design with a wider tire yeah and pricing is finally it's not cheap but it's it's not it's no longer like the cost of a complete bicycle <laughs> yeah like you know brands like hunt i think are doing an exceptional job of you know of offering high-end products but at non-absurd prices right yeah i think so yeah that's that's positive and i i don't know years ago i think i would have been concerned about riding carbon hoops especially on rough terrain but now i don't even think about it i'm just i just i have complete confidence in the the wheels and you know anything that's going to trash my wheels would have trashed a alloy set as well um yeah so. yeah 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 early carbon clinchers those were too uh, that was <laughs> that was a bad crossroads for bike tech in that metal clinchers fine carbon clincher terrible idea um in that you know you're asking this rim surface to do two different things of being like a you know friction and heat sink and also like a structural thing to hold your tires in and you know certainly saw many failures there from just breaking heat as the things would fold open like soft tacos <laughs> with, you know been saturated in salsa too long you know that the first time the first time i rode carbon clinchers they both popped open on me it's like doing a long descent in spain and, oh my god yeah first the front went and then the rear um so ha again disc brakes yay for disc brakes yeah <laughs> let the rim focus on one job keeping the tire on and let the brake focus on one job being the brakes um that so th there's some positive things carbon the development of carbon uh disc brakes uh i'm i'm guessing that in your experience you've seen just like you've said some some real mishits and uh bike companies pushing certain uh ideas that just went nowhere or just were uh i don't know stupid <laughs> what i what have you seen what are some of the things that you've seen that were like what what are we doing and why or or maybe even trends right now that you know there there may be some benefit to but you're just like i don't think this is the the future of bike sure um yeah like i was like we were talking about i i appreciate companies building weird stuff uh, just because we don't know till we try. Right. And sometimes uh, a design that's an outlier is too far, but there's an element of uh, inspiration or good sense to it that if toned down or adapted could make sense. So yeah, I don't want to pile on companies for, for trying new stuff. Uh, what I do want to heckle companies for is slapping labels on existing products in in the interest of trying to jump on a bandwagon so like you're asking about stuff recently gravel is is the hot thing right now everybody wants to sell gravel stuff and sometimes it's legit but what irks me is when there's an existing product and they're like oh we'll just put a sticker on this and now it's <laughs> it's a gravel hat it's like that was the hat you were wearing yesterday like nobody yeah now it's a gravel hat yeah and now so it's, like, you know, now it's 20% more expensive too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like get out of here. So I remember like, <laughs> uh, like a pair of shoes, super stiff carbon sold road shoes, 
brand put some logs on it and then embroidered in the word gravel to it and they were horrible and it was like such a obvious desperate grasp at the hot thing with zero legitimate investigative work sure but much less you know engineering work put into it like i think that's that's ill-advised and uh, ultimately backfires <laughs> right on companies so like you know like i gave trek grief when before they had the checkpoint they had the trek domani gravel and i was like what? oh they've got a new gravel model like no it was the same as before it's exact same bike they just <laughs> like well, this is the gravel now like why is it gravel well because we see that gravel bikes are selling so we call it a gravel <laughs> <laughs> and and that that was like an interim thing until they got the you know their actual first gravel bike checkpoint out in the market but i think those are uh, when the you know, sales and marketing teams get a little ahead of themselves. Right. It, it ceases to be like, uh, you know, uh, a new product, like you're saying, but it's it's more of a marketing ploy or just like, oh, we see this hole in the market. We need to fill it with something. So let's just throw yeah. old products in there. Yeah. So that, I think, deserves heckling and the other results, yeah, I think, serve as a lesson. But first, yeah, for brands like making an earnest effort even if it's something weird have at it <laughs> are you think do you do you see brands holding on to uh traditional ideas that they're just they just won't give up like rim brakes um i i can't think of another example right now but um is is are you seeing much of that or are most brands like willing to i mean i you know i was thinking about uh uh, Campagnolo, who, who just released their gravel group set. Um, I mean, th it doesn't get much more traditional than, than Campy, but, um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think, are, are there brands that are just, they just refuse to give up some, some certain bike tech things? I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not talking, I, I don't need you to like call out brands. I'm just saying, are you seeing that as a, as a trend that's, that companies want to stay traditional and don't want to uh, be progressive, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, brands have personalities, right. That are you know, often reflective of their home culture. And I think, I think that's fun. You know, SRAM, I think for instance, uh, is more eager to push than Shimano. Sure. Um, SRAM leans heavily into uh, marketing, fresh new stuff and you know you could you could give them a hard time for maybe getting a little ahead of themselves sometimes uh, compared to a shimano that is much more traditional and more cautious um in both introducing products and in banging their own drum about said new product um so i think those are fun just because they're you know similar they're both making components both making sure. groups uh very different cultures um you know so shimano's just to get into the minutia of things you know internal rim widths on shimano road wheels has always been skinny and they've been slow to change that uh whereas you know zip shram's wheel brand was eager to go wide early um yeah so i think that's just more reflective of the you know company culture yeah it's, it's interesting to see how company culture is, re is reflected in in product yeah and you know like american brands uh much on the whole 
keener to, to jump into gravel early the way you know mountain biking started here whereas europeans like what what is that uh, why are you doing this um yeah so that's yeah that's fun to see how trends will pop up in different geographic locations and some brands will go all in and some brands sort of take a wait and see approach just the the sociology of bike tech is it's fun to watch so this is probably a question that people ask a lot or um that is posed quite a bit but uh say i buy a $2500 bike very reasonable gravel bike uh in your opinion what's the most uh what should i upgrade the first the 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 first thing i should upgrade first things first you're the most important thing as far as components of the bicycle and and i would always encourage people to make sure that they're happy on their bike and by that i mean your fit and your touch points you know whether you're riding a a, you know one thousand dollar bike or a ten thousand dollar bike if you're not comfortable it doesn't matter how whiz bangy or shiny you know the latest component you know upgrade is so make sure that you love your saddle uh you know make sure your hands are happy make sure your lower back is happy um so that that's that's always my starting point um and depending on where you live like finding a good bike fitter might be a bit of a challenge but just you know like asking around your friend is always a good place to start and you're something that people probably already do anyway it's like hey what saddle do you have how do you like it and that is certainly something you can try and in shop so well and 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 also your every bike that comes out uh it you know you can adjust to the saddle that's on it you can adjust the height of your saddle you can adjust the fore and aft of the saddle and then that adjusts your fit so you're starting with maybe not even a uh an, an upgrade at all it's just spending a little bit of time on your bike and exactly. figuring yeah. out what's comfortable. Y- yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Invest some time. Like that's the investment, right? Yep. Invest some time in your, in the happiness and comfort of your backside and the rest of you for sure. Like that's, that's key. Um, and that's, yeah, you know, a bit of frustration with, with newer bikes are skewing towards adjustability mm-hmm. being difficult, you know, integrated cockpits look sweet. But man, that's some brain damage to swap that out. And that's, you know, to sure, t- tiny violins for me. But like having test bikes come in, it's just, it's no longer a matter of fact, just popping on my stem length of choice. It's like, I really don't want to disassemble the brake lines and order another $500 cockpit just to get the stem length right. But like, it's yeah. like, yeah, okay, good enough. We'll just go with this stuck. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that can be another place you know, back to the fit thing of like, what would I recommend people upgrade? Like make sure the bike fits you well. And sometimes just a centimeter or two longer or shorter stem or adjustment in elevation, or like even just changing the angle of the hoods can make a huge difference um, in how the bike feels. And like, if you're comfortable on it, you'll stay there longer. So that's, that's stop one for sure. That's, um, and I think that's and good. then and then if you're if you're desperate to spend money for like I've just got I've just got this money I need to give it to somebody after you've given that to, to a fitter then yeah wheels as you mentioned like that's a you know if you've got some heavier wheels going to lighter wheels can definitely make it make a difference 
and you know getting your tires dialed in that's a you know they're not free they're not cheap but that's a fun way to experiment with different different feels that dramatically changes the characteristics of the bike and even just tire pressure again like that's a time investment not a cost investment thing like yeah yeah. Pump them up high. See how that feels. See how that corners. Yeah. Okay. Take some pressure out. Hit that same set of corners. How does that feel? You know, like that's. I I think it's that's easy. The, that's the key. Bit. It's easy as a consumer, or I think it's easy for consumers or just bike enthusiasts to get ahead of ourselves and say, "Well, I need a new thing. I need to spend more money to make a better riding experience." But, you know, take it from a, a tech editor. No, just figure out how to best set up your own bike that you already have. And that's like, that's the best way to start. And, and then, you know, if you absolutely want to upgrade or need to upgrade, then yeah, there's, there's other things that you can, you can do there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about off the bike? Um, if you want to, so say for instance, you're going to go ride unbound or, uh, SBT gravel or something. What is what is the one piece of off the bike equipment or accessory that you rely on the most? Off the bike accessory. Well, you know, I'm sitting here, Trevor, like literally wearing my fast cat coaching hat. So, oh, interesting. You know, I've got 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 a got a plug training as as a vital thing. I don't know if that's what you mentioned there. You're looking for like a specific like tangible hard good, but. Yeah, again, the most important thing on a bike is you. So, like, getting yourself ready yeah. is going to make much more of a difference than having, like, an electric massage stick or, like, you know, a particular type of fabric in your jersey. Like, yeah, getting the getting the motor ready to go sure. uh, is going to make the, the biggest difference. Um, do you... But you're, you're, you're asking about... Yeah, just maybe, maybe I'd answered your question incorrectly. Well, I I liked the answer. Maybe we can get into that in a second. But yeah, like uh, I'm thinking like shoes or um, you know, of course helmets are important, but that's that's not really what I'm getting at. But uh, I don't know if there's something that um, like a piece of your kit that you're like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave without this. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I can give you a few things that that I I would say always pack, but I that's not always true. Sometimes I'll forget something and I'll be cursing to myself in a hotel room. Things I want to always pack. Uh, Dynaplug. They make a little racer version. Again, I'm waving something around on a podcast, so that won't help. But it's about the, you know smaller than the size of a pencil with plugs on either end. And that goes in the back pocket of my Sportful bibs. Uh, just because I have burned myself a few times having the right tools, but not as accessible as need be. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, the I'll come back to the story on that. But so yeah, Dynaplug Racer, awesome, love the thing. Um, and there's different variations. Certainly, there's like the the bacon strips, which some people like, and there's uh, you know stands darts, other people like. But I'm a Dynaplug guy. Uh, a hydration pack definitely a thing one of the many things that i and many others upon first blush made fun of is a silly thing but now yeah hydration's good um but that's i mean that can kind of be uh that's controversial a little bit um 
especially now with the whole gravel beef thing and do we stop at <laughs> stop at uh rest stops or do we do we pack so you you're in the like pack for the pack for the race that's kind of what you're in the camp of carry what you need and and not stop at aid stations or are you still still stop at aid stations but you're you're using a pack i'm a pack guy as well um but but then also i've also used a you know, I've carried two liters of water on my back on a hundred mile mountain bike race and we're climbing all these climbs. I'm like, what What the hell am I doing? Like I should, I should be yes. utilizing the stations and only carrying a couple bottles instead of all this weight on yes. my back. Yes. Yes. And right there, that's the fun of, of gravel events is that there's not one answer, right? It's just like, well, I want to do this because of this reasons, but then that also brings these negative benefits and we can't extract the, the two out and and so there's just different you can just see people's strategies on the start line of what they're yeah. doing and sometimes it works and sometimes it burns them so it's like it's you know it's a tactical thing and i think that's super fun um i usually bring a pack because i don't like getting left behind and i've done events where i'm like god we're gonna stop right we're gonna stop right oh oh you're not stopping okay like okay now do i just go on and end up dehydrated and cramping or do i stop and fill bottles and hope i can chase back on which i probably can't or like Arr. so yeah. yeah i've i've like at steamboat this year after i brought a hydration pack knowing that the first half of the course is a lot of climbing and i'm already not a light fellow but I opted to go with water because the last time I did not have a pack and had to stop and the group I was with kept going and yeah, but that's, yeah, it's, that's fun that, uh, and I like it that events don't have UCI level strictness about, okay, each racer must start with 20 ounce bottles and no greater than 20 ounce bottles and no lesser than, you know, <laughs> like we can just try different stuff and sometimes it works and sometimes it fails miserably and whatever. It's, it's a fun recreational activity. Yeah. Um, how about for you? Like what's, what, what are some of your must have pieces of kit that you bring to a race besides the bike? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I like, my hydro pack I've, I've done a couple different ones but i use a orange uh orange orange mud orange orange mud yeah 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 and i like the uh the pockets in the front and um it fits high so i can still get into my back jersey pockets which is really important um any pack that that keeps you from that it really gets me annoyed um yeah i mean it's, a, it's kind of the same same thing that you're you're talking about. Uh, I'm a I'm a big sunglasses guy. If I don't have the right sunglasses, um, I I just hate any of the, like the wind and it just makes my my eyes water. But uh, I've, I've I've gone back and forth between like the uh, what what's it the the photochromatic lenses or the different you know change your lenses clear lenses all this and I've really. I've really gotten into just the that like pink, like the the oh what is it? It's it's like it's like a pink lens or a red lens that it's really good for low light and for for uh, brighter light as well. So you're not the the worst thing is when you can't it, the shadows you know you can't see the 
um, the potholes in front of you or, or whatever. Right, so, so, right. uh, yeah. Is that just a shadow of a tree or is a two foot hole that's about to eat my front wheel? Yeah. I don't know. We're going 20 miles an hour. We're going to find out. Exactly. So yeah, I, I really like those, uh, kind of the pinker lenses. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it's basically, I, I, I do, I, I do still, I mean, this is not, this is, I guess this is not a, I mean, you, 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 you spoke about fast cat and all that. So, I nutrition wise, I mean, if it's, if it's like a hundred mile or whatever, I usually just run nutrition in my bottles and then pure water in my back. Um, and that seems to, to work well for me. And then I'll do a couple emergency, like goos or something that I just have on my body just in case I need to tap into those reserves. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what is your, I mean, you mentioned the revolt, um, what is your, what is your bike of choice right now as you're racing this season? Are you always revolt? Are you kind of jumping around to different things? Are you, when you race, are you testing or are you, when you race, you're saying, no, I want to make sure that I'm, I know my, my, my setup perfectly. No, when I, when I race, I'm testing. I, I do not own a gravel bike. Okay. It's, you know, for the last few years, it's, it's just, uh, rotating casts of test bikes does that is that uh worrisome for you because i mean you i mean you're racing you're not you're not going out and testing and you know uh as, i'm as, doing both yeah <laughs> you are doing, doing both. both but but yeah. I, I guess like you 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 are competing that's what i'm saying you are totally competing at the front and uh pushing yourself hard so a different a different bike each time i mean that could be uh problematic um whether for the engine yourself or for the the bike itself yeah yeah and yeah, that's that's part of the fun like you know one of my tired jokes before events is like you know i'm either gonna you know have a good race or i'll end up with a good story um, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes things going horribly wrong makes for great stories uh like you know the first time at unbound gravel i just you know, as Mitch and I, I like having the Diana plug on my in my back pocket, so I can just grab it there. You know, the first time Unbound Gravel was, you know, tore a sidewall and tried to plug it, which you can't really plug a giant tear. But I was ignorant and panicked and flustered, and uh, you know, so ended up by the side of the road for twenty minutes for a single flat, which uh. is like for a guy who's been doing this for a living for two decades was was rather humbling. But yeah, made for a super funny video. Um, but yeah, I'm always testing new stuff. Usually it's a, a new complete bike. Sometimes it's a, a bike I've ridden before, but with like a new wheel tire setup. Um, so there's no like tried and true setup that you have. It's you're always swapping things out, swapping bikes out, swapping tires, wheels, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, you know, part of my, a big part of my shtick with the ride YouTube channel is, yeah testing gravel bikes and gear and road bikes and gear and events you know so and and trying to contextualize that like here's how this bike compares to other bikes and then here's how this bike and or gear performed in this you know particular event yeah so you know just you know, try to standardize the position as much as possible for the reasons that we were talking about sure yeah and you know we'll uh you know try the stock saddle at first but if it's not a happy marriage you know we'll certainly have a couple go-to saddles yeah um, but yeah for the most part just yeah give it a crack see how it goes um 
this may be unanswerable, but I <laughs> see a lot of people want or 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 uh, search for a a one bike that just does everything. The do everything bike. Do you only need sure. one bike in your quiver? Do you think that the is quiver killer? Do you think that is even possible, or do you think that is just a myth? In of course it's possible. You know, like if we were thinking about vehicles, you know, you can have specialized vehicles like a Jeep and a truck and a small electric commuter car are all different things. And it's you know pretty easy to make the case for certain vehicles for certain applications, but most of us have a vehicle, right? And we're able to get around in our daily life right. <laughs> with yeah. a vehicle. And yeah, and uh, you know, bikes are analogous. And yeah, you don't want to take a track bike down a World Cup downhill run, but <laughs> I mean, you, you could, <laughs> you know, and, and you can commute on a downhill bike. It's not ideal, but you could. So, you know, much like with vehicles, most of us will kind of net out at a at a more middle of the road thing. Um, for enthusiasts like us, I think, yeah, it's easy to justify having a bunch of toys and that's fine. Um, mountain bikes and rope and drop bar bikes yeah you could get by with one of each and and have a good time so in the context of gravel yeah you could have a, a race your gravel bike and swap wheel sets that's something that i've seen that a number of folks do yeah and be pretty happy with that um yeah it's not as specialized for any given trail or road at hand but that's that's pretty good and they're like if you got and i'm a fan of two by drivetrains um and that's yeah that's that's a good option so uh, yes it's doable absolutely it's doable it would it be doable for you do you would you ever see yourself getting to a point and saying you know what i'm just gonna get one and then then i'm done <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's a tougher choice. Like, um, yeah, because like I said, I like I like the toys. Um, I, I'd probably I'd probably still like to have a road bike and a gravel bike. Yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah. The geometry is a little bit different, and you know, road you want bigger top end gears and just a super light, super slick aero bike. And, yeah okay it's, it's not possible it's not possible we have to have all the toys okay <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm with you that i just recently got a new mountain bike and i mean i had a, a hardtail cannondale for a while and then i went i got a santa cruz blur and you know it's a little more slack it's a 120 versus like i don't know 100 only and uh, full suspension versus and i'm like man i don't this is this is amazing, and then like going back and forth from my gravel to my that mountain bike, I'm like I, it's I, I couldn't imagine only having, you know maybe at this point if I was gonna do one bike maybe I would just stick with that blur, because I could mm. you know because I mm. could do trails and stuff and then also ride gravel, but you're not gonna you're not you don't you just it's a total different experience, um, but yeah I I'm with you you need I mean more bikes are more fun <laughs> yeah. Um, tell uh tell us a little bit about the your 
your current project then? Um, all of the testing that you're doing currently and the racing that you're doing, doing currently, like where can people see that? Um, um, it's a, a YouTube channel, correct? Yes, YouTube is called The Ride with Ben Delaney. Yeah, so just getting that underway. It's you know early days, nascent steps, nascent baby steps. Uh, but the the fundamental delivery is you know honest expert reviews on gravel, road bikes, and gear. You know, often inside events. Yeah. So I'm trying to make it make it go this like make this my full time job. It's something I wanted to do years ago, uh, but then you know a couple of things didn't have the guts to go for it and didn't have the means to invest the time without income coming in for long enough to see if it would work. Um, but, uh, in you know, the last couple of years, seen some former colleagues like David Arthur, formerly of road CC, make a go of it and uh, do very well. So I'm trying to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. You know, the meat, the media landscape is, is tough, um, in general and, and particularly for niche things like cycling media. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm just trying to give it a go as a, as an independent. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, if you look up uh bike reviews on YouTube, there are, you know, there's, there's so many of them. Um, but I have appreciated as I've watched yours one, I mean, your experience, your years of experience as a, as an editor and in the cycling industry and in the cycling media. Um, and then too, the, the quality of the videos are, are, are great, which, you know, um, that's that goes a long way as someone that's consuming the the media itself so uh i've enjoyed those and seen some of the the bikes that you have or the products that you have uh um chosen but then also some of the the rides that you have done and the races that you have done i think it's it's cool it's a cool like it's it's not just a, a race review and it's not just a review of a product. They're, they're kind of combined together, which I think is a, is a cool way to, to do it. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate you saying that. Um, and then, um, I wanted to, you mentioned this already. Um, and this is not really tech. This is, well, it's kind of tech of the, uh, of the self or the body, but when you're getting ready for these things, are you sticking to a, I mean, you, you've put up some, you've had a really good season and you've put up some, uh, really great results. Like what is your day to day training regimen as you're trying to work in, um, you know, starting a, a, a media brand and, and, uh, filming video and doing all of this, like how often are you getting on the bike? What is your, what's your training regimen look like? Yeah. I, I, I enjoy riding. I try to get out there often. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, usually you know, five times a week um I tr for events that have me scared you know i'll i'll tailor the training a bit more towards those as far as you know building up a load and then tapering off a bit before them Dis is it distance that scares you or what's yeah. what scares you in yeah. <laughs> yeah so like for for the you know the first time i did unbound you know it wasn't called unbound then but yeah it's like how yeah. the heck do you raced for 200 miles yeah. so yeah definitely you know trained specifically for that uh other events you know just treat them more like group rides and don't you know overhaul the training just for that but yeah you know try to have some intensity during the week uh try to have some sweet spot 
during the week, uh, and then try to have a little bit of time off, and then a you know a big ride or or a race on the weekend. As the formula in a nutshell. Yeah, as a as a professional in the bike industry, um, is it hard to keep the balance of uh, the passion for? riding and cycling and then also the the business side of it too and how those sometimes don't work the best together heck no i love bikes um and and trying to complain about the minutia of or frustrations of working with bikes to someone who doesn't work in the bike industry they rightfully look at you if they're enthusiasts themselves like you're a moron like wait (laughs) okay you're you're complaining that you had to build up a bunch of $10,000 bikes before you got to ride them. Like, shut up. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely a heavy blur between work and life. I mean, I'm always playing a little when I'm working. I'm always working a little when I'm playing. Um, so there is no delineation at yep. all, but uh, yes, yeah, I, I still consider myself very lucky to do this weird, strange thing for a living. That's, that's great. Good to hear. Well, thank you, Ben. I mean, I think this was a. Uh, I, I kind of feel like we just kind of scratched the surface. We didn't talk about tubeless at all, which I think is a, an important trend. I don't. I just thought of that right now. But but uh, there's. I mean, I think there's so many. You know, you can you can go into a certain like we could talk about bike geometries and probably talk further. I mean, you probably have an hour of 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 things to say about just geometry. You know, um, but. But I like we'll save another, another podcast. We'll yeah. save that for another time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I like the kind of the, the generalization that we, we did today and, and talking about all this different stuff and getting to you, getting to know you more. And uh, so I appreciate the time and and joining us here. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was, it was a fun chat. So um, I think I heard that you'll be at BWR Utah. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'll be there too. Well, see you there. Yeah. Um, Sweet. Are you waffling or wafering? I'm waffling. All right. Um, are you waffling or wafering? I'm waffling on deciding, but I think I'm going to waffle. Okay. So on on the, you know, one thing I've enjoyed this year is doing, not always, but sometimes the second distance. Mm-hmm. Um, Notice that for a couple reasons. You know, one because. You know, that allows me to catch up with the riders before and after, you know, to shoot bikes or talk tech or whatever. Um, and also because it's just a lot easier to recover from a 100-mile day than a 140 or a 200-mile day. So, right. Uh, but, yeah, the 140, I done, did that one a couple years ago, and, yeah, it's a good one. So Okay. What's the, what is the wafer? Is it 100? There it's like, it's like 80. 80. Five or something. Okay. So, yeah. So that's still, so, it's still, a, yeah. I'm, still, yeah, still, you get your money's worth. You know, yeah. it's not like you finish that and you're like, I want to go do that again. Yeah. You know, you want to put your feet up and have a beer with that. You know, I think that should, that, that is a, I think people should be, I think it should be more embraced that like the second tier distance is, is just as great as like the, the, ridiculous amount distance like yeah, i see I'm, gravel events just getting longer and longer and longer it's like okay hold on let's 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 back up a little bit do we really need the 350 mile um and that's great for you know if that's your a race or your if you're really into the ultra endurance stuff but but most yeah, of us yeah. don't have time to train for it and most of us don't have 
the ability to do that. So what's, I don't think anyone should feel like doing the hundred mile unbound or the hundred mile, you know, or it, it's, they're not going to get what they, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it should be more embraced. Uh, I'm with you. I'm, a couple thoughts there. I mean, one, we're on a slippery slope of one-upsmanship of like, oh, your race is 100. Oh, yeah, ours is 250. Yep, oh, yep, yours is 150. Yep. Ours is 200. Oh, um, I've also been slapping people's wrists when they've used the word just or the word only to describe what they're doing. Like, yep. I'm only doing a half Ironman. I'm just doing that. Shut up. You're, you're, like, you're yeah. doing a thing. And in many ways, like the shorter distance, shorter duration are racier because there's tactics and attacks and counters as opposed to a the full distance are often just stubborn contests of like, and those are cool things too. Uh, and then lastly, when there were just a few big gravel races, it made sense to go, go big, right? Like do a sign up for an event that you're a little bit scared of, because I do believe the marketing hype of many of these, that it's, it is a gratifying experience to sign up for a scary event and then realize like, yeah, you can do that. You can pull it off and it's going to suck at points, but like, yeah. It's cool to do, and you'll you'll feel good when you're done. Um, much like it's good to go out and really tie one on every now and again, but like, but not every Tuesday, you know. Like, it's just I feel like, ju- I feel judged right now. <laughs> yeah. Do, well, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and if you're doing a lot of them, and I realize not not everyone is doing a ton of gravel races, but if you're doing a bunch as a oh person who's working for a living and not getting paid to ride bikes like it's a recreational thing and and doing the huge distance often doesn't feel that recreational to me yeah yeah <laughs> you know? so this... yeah i think it's 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 good to have i love you know i love the gravelous format of no categories you just pick your distance you know if it's the menu of like you just want to have a appetizers have, have at it if you want to have the full buffet knock yourself out but like it's not a well the the good people go all day and the beginners go short it's like that's that's not at all you just pick the the distance that that you want to do yeah definitely it's 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 great advice and i i think as yeah as as a as a gravel racer and a rider i mean that's just something that to keep in mind that we don't need to my dog's barking in the background, but whatever. We're about to wrap it up yeah, anyway. So I was gonna say it's like the, yeah, the dog's calling time on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Enough, boys. Wrap it up. All right, Ben. That's that sounds uh like a good place to finish. So thank you <laughs> so much. Um hope to run into you at Utah in Utah. And uh maybe on the road, maybe not on the road. I'll probably be uh you know, I'm I'm not really at any sort of elevation, so that I'm a little concerned about concerned about the elevation but uh um but anyways maybe afterwards um maybe over waffles or beer or something but uh hope to see you in person and then uh again thank you so much for uh giving us some insight on the whole tech side of things my pleasure Trevor. yeah happy to be on the podcast and look forward to seeing you in utah cheers cheers the dirty chain podcast is a michigan midpack media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by myself, Trevor Gibney. 
Thank you to Ben Delaney for joining us on this episode. And thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack.